like beta pan thing going on it's sort of pixie twinkle sparkle yeah. it always picks me up a little bit well that is the um uh, being on the inside and occasionally the wrong side of the cosmic joke you know mm. well a... look um yeah I'm, I'm not feeling like that now so i was just sorry i'm a little bit late i've just been running around the house like yelling you know, where's my boomerang? Where's my boomerang? Which is, and it sounds like a cliche, but I don't really want to show you this boomerang. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, because that's what I really want to talk to you about today. This is um, the boomerang, the enlightenment war boomerang that I was making. Uh -huh. um, it was a really big one, and I was just sort of cutting bits away. So, you know, um, like pretty much you and I, our relationship has been around, I don't know, trying to help me come to terms with my struggle um you know with the enlightenment and trying to respect that there will be things worth keeping uh, that there are things worth keeping <laughs> from the enlightenment and uh, so that boomerang was about uh, deciding what should be kept and from my point of view anyway well and just just so i fully understand the analogy it's mm. that you carve a boomerang a war boomerang from a solid log yeah. which in this case would represent the whole shooting match of the enlightenment yeah and then the question is is what are you whittling away to create the thing, the tool that you That's want to carry it. forward with you. So it, yeah, it started out like a very big, like a meter, a meter long and um, very large and very thick as well. So pretty much a hand span and a half across thick, very large, big, big boomerang. And it's, and it's sort of, it's down, it's down to this now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it's become so it's, a, it's metaphorical and actual. Yeah, well, it's become an actual returning boomerang too, which is weird because I just I don't make returning boomerangs because um, I think I think they're bullshit um, <laughs> myself. <laughs> they're like a, a children's toy from my point of view, and it's sort of like something that um, that a lot of our old people were sort of forced to do as a performance, you know, throwing the comeback boomerang, and not just in Australia, but actually packed up like in cages and 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 shipped all around Europe and America, you know, in these traveling shows, you know, to sort of throw the boomerang, you know, in between the bearded woman and the and the and the juggling hunchback or whatever, you know. Um yeah, so for me, like I've never it's I just kind of I just I just I just don't buy into the whole, you know, uh, returning boomerang thing. But that's what it's become. It's it's become that. And um I don't know, our relationship's been um I don't know, just awesome. You, your book, uh, Recapturing the Rapture, was called, eh? 
-hmm. was um yeah i was lucky enough to to read a, an advanced copy of that and um you know endorse that uh, last year was that last year or earlier this year oh, dude it was just this spring oh my god it feels like forever ago doesn't yeah it? but anyway that was beautiful and you also shared the redacted chapters with me which is which was even better mm. which i yeah which was specifically more. about right the infinite game is there something worth what it was it was me going to sandhurst right it was that experience yeah in 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 the uk and that question of just what 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 a wacky schizophrenic legacy mm. is the british colonial experience but or, or even just the kind of the 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 yeah, the sort of the keepers of some version of civil society, which is at least in a template, good mm. or bad, and at the same time, just utterly bloody colonialism. Yeah. And, and how to fucking square that. And yeah. So, yeah, that, that conversation with you um, holding your experiences, right, as both an, an indigenous person and, and an academic, um, I take to heart. You know, because there aren't mm. too many. I mean, I mean, and I, I think I shared with you, Vine Deloria Jr. was my advisor in grad school. So Yale Law, Lakota Elder, right? Similar yeah. kind of dichotomy, which is I think probably maybe why you and I fell into in, in addition to just liking to taking the piss out of the current scene and everything else together. Yeah. I think why we fell into a fairly easy Banter. concentration on these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we're both good at going well, what's not working and all the rest, but mm -hmm. um, but what 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 potentially can, yeah. and what's uh, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so, and by the way, I'm I'm I've just wrapped Vaclav Smil's uh, Grand Transitions, book, mm -hmm. which is that sort of energy history, population, energy, population, food, and um, environment across you know a hundred thousand years. What what have humans done? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, as well as been into some, in fact, I think I sent you that email on the infrastructure, structure, superstructure model of, of society that with that yeah. essay, I think I might've just sent it to you like yesterday or the day before. <clears throat> um, so I've been thinking about like big history, long history, you know, whatever <clears throat> you want to call it, right? <clears throat> sort of how the fuck did we get to now, you know, and, and are there lessons learned, you know, uh, along the way? So the first thing is I think, um, and, and trying to tease apart, right? What are, what's the correlation and the causation in the enlightenment experiment, the scientific revolution, European mm. colonialism, specifically the kind of guns, germs, and steel part of it, you, mm. you know, um, mm. and also petroeconomies. Because quite often, especially if people don't bring an energy lens to their discussions, they will take credit for That's a it. time period like a time like all of steven pinker's stuff goes to shit mm. if, you, if mm. you if you just were like oh well that was a 150 year coke bender on fossil fuels yeah that's it right. ghost ghost slaves yeah and so yeah. and so it's really you know to me it feels essential to kind of have this integrated thing and on the other hand right scientific revolution mm. really did do some interesting things um and the the methodology but on the other hand was that particularly novel in the 18th century you know no you've got persia figuring shit out you've got china figuring shit out you've got any indigenous um, civilizations but in general they didn't necessarily have um 
gosh, I mean, I guess exportable theories of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, they were sort of place-based, they were local, they were those kind of things. But if you take a look at that Antithikira device, you know, that ancient Greek one that got mm. dug up, the crazy clockwork one, you know, and that was, they took Persian astronomy, which was crazy advanced, and then they took metallurgy, and then they took, you know, like incredibly, like ridiculous, um, you know, Pythagorean mathematics to create this little computer that could, com- you know, that could plot the movement of stars and planets. Mm. And like, there's some genius shit. So the idea that, like, it all started with Isaac Newton, you know, is also something to question and be skeptical about and interrogate. Yeah, yeah. Like, there've been yeah. incredibly sophisticated theories of knowledge and mm. modes of learning and discovery that predate the quote-unquote enlightenment as well but th- these right? are the narratives though yeah you know these are the narratives follow all, the apple tree, whole all these kind of things yeah. the narratives are, are important and and yeah historians dig around and find out they're not true but they are the mythologies of of the discipline they're the, yeah, and they're I think the it, I that's think... the law it's the l-o-r-e of the the, <laughs> the system of knowledge and arguably it can't exist without it so i mean i guess it's about what stories do you keep um knowing knowing that they're stories and what stories because some stories are just too good you you know fella jumps out of the bath and run down the street shouting eureka it's a good fucking Uh story i don't care if it happened or not exactly (laughs) it's a good one well dude i mean i mean it's it's back to Chief Broom, the the schizophrenic narrator of One Flew of the Cuckoo's One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I can't believe you're bringing Casey into this. Go on then. Where are you going with that? Uh, well, well I mean, he, he has the, he has that opening, that famous opening monologue, which like I'm going to say it, and it's going to pour out of me like a river, and blah blah blah. blah. He was going to okay. the truth, even if it didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. so look, I mean, I mean, True I think God. the question is, um, I mean, these are all stories. So, which stories serve? Mm-hmm. The ones I would like to be more true you know the ones i'd like to kind of pick up and animate would be all men are created equal and entitled to the same basic and inalienable rights Mm. that feels like a generally good one now if we pressure test this we're seeing a move back into tribalism these days we're seeing and you know and if we Mm. experience any energy resource and population crises and challenges Mm. then it very quickly goes to no they're not all created equal mine come first Mm. you know but as far as something that was in fact i'll tell you what i've just come across this this there's this uh black american scholar and i can dig up his name but he was Mm. a marxist for decades and then he was at harvard and now he's at stan well now he's retired but he was then Mm. at stanford and then he swung all the way over to like hoover institute kind of libertarian mm. and he talked about the constrained versus the unconstrained mm. theories of, of humanity and how basically you've got Hobbes on one side you know nasty brutish and short kind of thing and we actually have to and it's basically the foundations the underpinning of libertarianism mm. and free markets mm. the idea that you can't hold out anything optimistic about mm. what we naked monkeys do we're generally not that good to each other so the best thing you can do is actually is is fundamentally is pursue liberty and trust that you may not ever get to full equality Mm. but you will limit any utopian overreaches Mm. right so that's the whole notion of let you know that's the adam smithian magic of the market stuff Mm. and then the unconstrained version is rousseauvian and is basically that idea that hey you know um 
we have sort of the, you know, we have the angelic in us. So it's the mm. angel versus the animal kind of a thing. Mm. But in, in order to, and then equality becomes its top value at the expense of liberty and, and an appeal to some form of state authority and or market controls in order to ensure that. So that would be the kind of equity of access versus, you know, equality of access versus equity of outcome mm. kind of dichotomy. And, and I have found that interesting to noodle on. Because in some respects, those are those are both both of the constrained and the unconstrained vision show up in this post enlightenment in this last five hundred years, let's say four hundred years, right? Mm. You know, and 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 it's a dialectic between them. It's between those philosophers. It's between the different countries. It's between the different political parties that champion one or the other. Mm. And so, I don't think that the alt right. I don't think it's got a fucking interesting philosophical position, but you could definitely say that conservative libertarianism does you know like mm. it's a it's a it's a body of ideas first mm. before it's a set of practices and you can for sure say that social justice um you know everything from actual maoism and communism you know leninist maoist all the way mm. to contemporary social mm. identity politics mm. are on that unconstrained vision so that's true but that's it's hard to find any kind of actual communism because you know, com communism came out of Western Europe. Yeah, like the what actual, do you mean? Do you mean the like no, the, the actual, not just the, yeah, not the like the actual, I don't know, the like the good stuff, the good theory around it, and it was pretty much universally accepted that you had to pass through capitalism first before you, you arrived at communism, and um and pretty much yeah, and every the only, so and the only two uh, Russia, Russia it. and China actually fucked it because they skipped. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they skipped the capitalist part and yeah. they, they jumped straight from feudalism to um, just absolutely, you know, and they skipped a few steps. <laughs> you know what I mean? They jumped straight from feudalism to like burning everything, all the people, all the resources in order to get this glorious communism, which, you, you know, people go, oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, I haven't seen it tried anywhere yet. It would be nice to see yeah. it tried. But here's the thing. It's 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 just it's just it's just a mutated form of capitalism it's like this uh it's like capitalism's the the supposed to be the lava and and then the um and communism supposed to be the beautiful butterfly that comes out <laughs> at the end but it's all awful it all demands that people are removed from the landscape it all demands that the, they live in an extractive relation to the landscape i prefer the feudalism that was there before at least people were still living in some kind of connection with the land it's just um horrendous and look, here's, um, I don't know, here's where, where we, we haven't, well, where I haven't worked, worked and played well with others um, in the past. So you, you brought up the human rights thing before. And the last time you said that to me, um, I think I, I just started shouting at you for about 40 minutes, you know, <laughs> with just, you know, it's like, so you come in here and you're selling, you're selling the solution to the problem of inequality that you brought here. So you bring inequality here and then you come selling the solution of human rights, like to bring light to my dark world, um, you know, stuff you kind of thing. That, that was basically where it went. You know, the last time we tried to have an, a grown up conversation about this, um, mm -hmm. I, th I, think, I think people are just raw and still. But anyway, I'm, I'm, re I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready I to mean, talk I mean, to, and, and what's, what's the coolest thing ever? And, and, and sorry, this is, there's a 800 threads, 
that's how I like to do it. I don't want to put, just put questions at you, but you know, you are this, um, you're a peak performance, like expert, like, um, you know, one of the, the, like the guy, you're the guy for peak performance that everybody looks to, you know, around the world. And, um, <clears throat> it's just, I just think it's really cool that, um, you're not just focusing on a person's body or mind and body, but you necessarily you're driven to look at an entire historical perspective and all of the context together and the rest of the world. And I'm not sure which way you got there, like with everything that you know about the world and how it works, was that, did you know that before that? And then you, oh, no, dude, I mean, drilled, like, you drilled, you drilled into focus down to peak performance or did you start a peak performance and then you came out and realized that you have no, to look God, at everything? No. no, no, I came, came out and started with life and, and isn't this kind of interesting? Yeah. And how did it, how did it make sense and how did we get to now? So neuroanthropology would be much closer to like, what is home? That's my briar patch. And it's the sense of what is the story of human culture and consciousness? Yeah. And how does it work? Both, you know, both at the anthropological level, the actual people, signs, signifiers, symbols, language, history, et cetera. But also mm. how does it work on the, you know, scientific and developmental levels? Like, why do we do the crazy things we fucking do? Mm. And so <clears throat> peak performance is actually a tiny little ghetto subset of all that, which actually only ever came out because I founded the organization you know, called the flow genome project based on the peak state of flow, not because I gave a shit about helping the Silicon Valley tech bros, you know, get more out of their lunch hours. It was because, um, a, I loved adventuring in the wilds, you know, so the sort of ski mountaineering and, and mountain bike racing and all the things, but also <clears throat> because something autotelic, something in you know, th that you couldn't help but want to do something joyful, something mm. life-giving, mm. felt like the only way we grow sustainably, like we don't grow very well or consistently with guilt or vanity. Those are finite fuels. And this notion of, hey, if you find what you love, you know, and, 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 and come alive because of it, that felt like a key on how do we as humans grow into fullest expression? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always wild nature you know, and it, and it was engagement in an embodiment in wild, wild places was number one, and then throw in psychedelics and throw in music. And before you know it, you're, you know, back to tribal stumps, you know, and, and so I've always been, that's what I care about the most is, is how do humans thrive and grow and where have we come from to get to now? And does that story help point any way forwards? Um, and then the current existential crisis is just one of those accidents of history. Mm. where there's always been the same imperative to live a fully expressed human life. And now it's just, Hey, by the way, if optimizing yourself because you, because you're called to that isn't mm. enough. And if optimizing yourself to go and kick ass and take names and 10 X your performance and all this silly Silicon Valley stuff wasn't enough. Well, now it might be because you know you're needed <laughs> and the work yeah. that you might be still clinging to is going to probably fall apart fairly soon anyway so you're sort of off the hook for you know having having to do that but the core is has my core inquiries always always been the same which is just what is the what is the fullest expression of the human experience mm. you know and how have we done it and quite often there's been a um there's an awful lot of cultural exp expressions and iterations 
mm. from around the world and, and it just feels worth to take all of them into consideration and not be stuck on a single a single cultural story so mm. you know to go to go back to the enlightenment bit i do think that that was a meaningful thing and again not followed through on much at all but mm. the concept that someone beyond my caste clan tribe creed could be entitled to the same dignity and respect that me and mine are mm -hmm. and and not just in some you know because i mean many medieval you know around the world there's been interactions between different peoples forever mm -hmm. there's always been trade networks silk road again back to persia china you know like the people have bumped into each other and there's been lots of inter-ethnic urban and you know urban environments and trade for ages so the idea yeah. it's the first time other people have bumped into each other is silly mm -hmm. but that I, that idea that on some fundamental level of human beingness that instead of the ones across the river being the one that the butt of our jokes you know they are actually entitled to the same intrinsic rights and privileges that we are that does feel like an an important one if we give a shit mm. about a global you know, civilization or society right mm. um mm. some acknowledgement and this this is the these get very you know and they're therefore some form of inalienable civil rights and some mm -hmm. form of law that combines precedent so sort of tort law plus trial by peers right and, yeah. and the impartiality of it. I mean, again, it gets talk about old stories. The Magna Carta mm. really never didn't happen the way everybody says it did. Oh yeah. You know, and look, this so so that that bit and and the jury, you know, the jury yeah. system. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I cut off the end yesterday, right off here. Mm. But I've kept it because <laughs> the guy that was arguing that for me is an Australian economist, and so I, I kept the piece. It's just not on the boomerang. I don't know why. Interesting. I, I'm. I, I don't think I wasn't being very, um, very rigorous. Like, I think I was just in a bad mood and I just cut the Magna Carta off a of boomerang. Oh, so, um, well, here's the thing. I think the Magna Carta was really the arbitrary itself was random, but I think, I think the story, the reason it got dredged up in the 18th century and 19th mm. century was because it was a symbol of one of the first times that in by law, by fiat, not just by regicide, there was a rebalancing of power and saying no man is is you know no man is above the law mm. right like that's that's the reason that's right. the meme that that gives juice to the magna carta fable well that and brings think, me to my next question then um what's the tech what's the mechanism that was created to make you know you were saying the idea that all people are equal no matter what but then what's the mechanism you know the technology even if it's a psychotechnology in place to um to actually make that work rather oh, than it just being an theory, ideal and I'm, theory, I'm hearing i'm rights. hearing something there yeah, so, yeah theory, it's, but beyond just a piece of paper well no no but then it would be a stack right mm. so let's say you've got the magna carta saying you know this is the biggest this is the biggest test case of no man's mm. above the law mm. so even the divine right of kings is subjugate mm. or subordinate to the law Mm. And the law is the accumulation of our rights, customs, and precedents. And you also have that piece of paper, the Bill of Rights. What am I entitled to? And you also have the ability, because that's not going to be enough. You have the ability, the right to be plaintiff and defendant mm. 
right? In a, you know, in theory, impartial, the scales of justice thing, mm. right? Mm. Um, you know, assessment by either juror, you know, the judge or the jury, mm. the peers. And somewhere in there is a really great idea. Somewhere in there yeah. is. You, you know what the last thought I had before I cut that bit off the boomerang was OJ Simpson. Hmm. And I just went, doesn't work. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is what we mean by what were great ideas badly executed versus what were fundamentally flawed ideas that have given us the shit show we've currently got. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm. like, the, like another one would be private property. Mm. Because if you talk to libertarians, right and you say but what about the tragedy of the commons you know what about all of these things and they're like oh well that's because we actually need to privatize the oceans that would fix it and you're like nah fucking uh, like very unlikely yeah. you yeah. know they sort of say the problem the, the solution to all of our problems is to double down on the very things that cause the problems because we just haven't been doing it aggressively enough and you, in fact if, i don't know if you read yeah, many, I, I don't know how how it is that they think it's going to make them more free to install that unaccountable dictators I, I don't know how far into your writing and research you are and whether you have any time left to read another book but that that Vaclav Schmil that grand transitions is really mm. important because mm. we have to also look at because I mean you know like William Cronin who wrote changes in the land I think you and I have talked about this but he's a preeminent environmental and indigenous historian in the U.S. he was at Madison mm. University of Wisconsin but he wrote this book, Changes in the Land, and it's land ownership in colonial New England. So he's talking mm. about the Mi'kmaq and, and the various other tribes up there and the notion of usufruct land rights. Mm -hmm. The idea, like it's U-S-U-F-R-U-C-T, which is basically meaning we all have multiple ways of relating to this land. And the whole origins of Indian giver mm. in this country was actually because, you know, tribes would make treaties like, yes, you can, you know, you give us beads or guns or whatever it would be and and then this this land is also you know in in the, in the indigenous point of view is you can come here also you can camp here also you can hunt here also and we won't yeah. slit your throats for trespassing yeah. and then when they would then see the indians coming back across that land after the treaty they'd be like what the fuck are you doing here and they're like what do you mean <laughs> like how could somebody own the earth and the sky and a partition thing and then the imposition of geometric squares and surveying and all of this yeah. kind of cartesian yeah. exclusive and isolated ownership so mm. i think it is fair to say that somewhere between private property and free markets are some really good ideas right the ideas of care responsibility um predictability even certainty right mm. and there's also some deep pathologies mm. of well, exclusive those, those those pathologies are arising from trying to trying to make certainty happen and predictability happen yeah any number from of things. fearing and, fearing their opposite yeah and 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 the the atomization or the fracturing of the web of life mm. you know i cut this part up i fence this part off i you know mm. i deplete that i do whatever i do yeah so those are problems um the notion of markets which obviously comes kind of mm. hot on the heels of the thing and that, that's interesting about uh Graeber's book on debt, right? Because mm. he challenges mm. he challenges the story of we bartered, 
Mm. And then we couldn't barter because not everybody had the thing you wanted at the same time. It's I like, love that. Bullshit but, barter has never existed. Barter was invented yeah. by modern economists to try and have yes. a story. <laughs> to as explain the, straw, how as we the got straw man. As the yeah. straw man to then go, ta-da, fiat <laughs> currencies, right? Oh, um, I love that. You know, he's like, yeah, no, it was more like a system. He argues that it was more like a system of credit. Yeah, he's like, look, we like I, I temper that strangers. myself and say it wasn't relational credit. We could call yeah. it that. I can go along. With a web, it. a web of obligations, mm. right? Is actually how we used to do things, and yeah. barter was reserved for strangers you didn't trust, and we're probably never going to see again. Mm. Right. So, so that notion of um, markets, mm. and I don't know. I mean, I think I, I mentioned it in my book, but I don't know if you'd ever come across that I pencil fable right there's that 50s libertarian story of how on earth does a pencil come to be a pencil comes mm. to be through the miracles of a thousand tiny decisions by you know all these yeah, people who've never known each it. other and they all yeah. combine to make this amazing pencil yay right and there is truth to that um but it's a partial truth so the question is is you know and we've never actually had a truly free mind mm. Mm. There's always been rent seeking. There's always been protectionism. There's always been favoritism and monopoly. There's somewhere in the private property to markets, right? Yeah. Is I think that's one of the thorniest ones oh, to tease apart. Is. What are really, really good ideas? Because mm. the note, and you know, and of course we're getting another lap at this with DAOs and the blockchain. They're really mm. kind of, they're almost. I mean, not surprising. There's a bunch of crypto libertarians, right? They're sort of just mm. dusting off I pencil and going I blockchain yeah you know um and and you know again i mean i can only speak of north america because i'm more familiar with it right but i mean the trade networks there was pemmican that was you know the salmon and the bear, bear fat and the berries and this kind of stuff but highly non-perishable trail food mm. made it from the columbia river basin all the way to the lakota and the great plains and you had seashells from the gulf of mexico and you had obsidian mm. from different quarries and you, you know you, you yeah, and same you thing on this continent over, yeah right and you could trace them over thousands of miles mm. so these trade networks and it might it might have taken a decade to get from one place to the other it wasn't fedex trucks you know but but mm. and it might have just been a gift at a time you know so so there's there's all sorts of um there are all sorts of important trade like there's there's markets and there are markets right mm. so there's sort of his indigenous trade networks which did a really good job of hey those folks make way better baskets than we do mm. or these folks live near a natural resource we don't and we value and how do we exchange these things because if we were all completely solely place-based and self-sufficient that's a dirt poor life mm. You know, like bottom line, I mean, and, and, and true for Anglo settlers as well. Like when they went out on their own and they built their own fucking log cabins and they grew their own, they, they were poor, they, they had shitty haircuts, they dressed in raggedy ass clothes. You know, the idea of specialization mm. is beautiful. The same with a bow maker or a didgeridoo. Mm. You know, like you want the craft, but you want the craft. Well, look, I mean, it, if you want to be a yeoman farmer today, you, you better um, you better have a couple of million dollars to spend. You know what I mean? To, to, I mean, you have to be a multimillionaire in order to live the life of a peasant uh, from 100, 150 years ago. <laughs> with, <laughs> now, without yeah. it being, without it being yeah. like hard scrabble, broke ass poverty, like yeah. an oh, But or even that, yeah. But I mean, that's. Uh, but see, that's the thing. Nothing works without those networks you were mentioning before. And here's mm -hmm. the thing: whereby you also mentioned blockchain, etc., and the DAOs. You know, a lot of this is about um, 
these technologies are about trying to circumvent trust, trying to take trust out of the equation, um, because trust is the thing that won't scale. Which, which in a decentralized, I was sharing would be a thing. constrained vision. Yeah, it's however, you can't trust people to be the right thing, so build systems. There was to a, mitigate them doing the wrong thing. Yeah, there's a mechanism. So, like our, our Magna Carta um, here, and I, th I think it was it's unique to this continent. Um, so, just to the mainland, I don't think it even happens up in the Torres Strait, but just for the mainland, indigenous peoples here, and this mechanism was that all of your law, all of your sacred law and highest knowledge. So you know, basically the uh, everything about your culture, like the foundations of it, the really important stuff that gets kept by someone in another in another tribe in a few other tribes there's people who keep that for you just in case there's a volcano or an algal bloom or something like that 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 law can be taken back to that land and that, that land repopulated right no so if you imagine the trust the trust of of, of all of your it, it'd be like um you know all of the national security secrets of north america being entrusted to you know azerbaijan and <laughs> you know what i mean and taiwan you know you, you hold all those for us just in case we get nuked um there is that absolute trust so in every tribe there are several people who hold the law for several other tribes and there's this interdependence going on so to be able to trust your entire culture to somebody uh, who is potentially is in a potentially uh, rivalrous dynamic with you is a potential competitor. That's the thing that actually in the end uh, prevents competition and the rivalrous dynamics and, you know, prevents that, uh, you know, the tragedy of the commons, the multipolar traps and all the rest. Um, so that that's the mechanism there. It's, it's about it, it, it is about that trust and that trust is needed. And so that's why I'm asking for this, um, the mechanism for things like, um, you know, you know, the uh, juries and, um, you know, tolerance, equality, the rights of man, all these sorts of things. What mechanisms can there be um, in place? So it's like at the moment, it's they're worth keeping because they're good ideas. But then what mechanisms would need to be um, innovated or what has already been innovated that actually yeah. works? Um, I mean, it would seem to me like I don't know whether you're structuring the book this way or not, but it almost feels like if you if there were and you know and again you could piggyback on Graeber and for what it's worth, um, there's an entire chapter called it's called Hiding in Plain Sight and it's the indigenous origins of social housing and democracy in the Americas. So it's his take on basically the Enlightenment was already we, you and I spoke about this, but yeah. How, was this the, the the other one you were talking about before? Or is this the this latest is, book? This is, this is this one. Okay, the the dawn of everything. Yeah, I've only read chapter two. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Well, I just, I mean, I just scroll ahead and see, right? Because because the other one is is also taxation, which is fundamentally mm. there is a real question about a how does everybody chip in? Yeah. Right. So that's a simple question. Like if we need hard mm. important things done, that no one can afford to do by themselves, and and yet we're all going to benefit from. Mm. Um, how do you how do we enforce that? Never mind, like it's a bureaucratic state mandate. Let's just say we're, we're a tribe or a band of people trying to figure shit out. Everybody needs mm. to chip in. So mm. how do you do the chipping in? Is one question for basically shared infrastructure. And then the other question is 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 also um, 
uh, how what is it what is a reasonable allocation and redistribution of resources mm. right so right now there's the whole tax the rich the AOC you know the the the, the you know mm. at, at the dot you know at the uh, MoMA ball or whatever it was with the, you know that tax the rich dress and mm. there's the questions of you know Elon paying an 11 million 11 billion dollar tax bill and the question is is okay are there indigenous examples of resource reallocation you think at least i think of like oh well there's the columbia river basin potlatch mm. right the idea of gifting, idea that uh, right? that economy like, mm. and you're like oh well that sounds really groovy mm. but you give everything you give everything and then well, you're the men, you're taken care of forever <laughs> well, well that well that's an idealistic version because mm. <clears throat> because actually the Columbia River Gorge, the Chinook and Columbia Basin guys were often, they were, they were actually, was the most, some of the most stratified societies. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, the notion of a potlatch, right? You gift and re-gift and it all gets redistributed to, you know, mm -hmm. from each and to each, right? Yeah. On the other hand, that supported one of the only slaveholding societies in North America. And it was the most stratified and hierarchical because it was effectively a big man giving system. I basically earn all sorts of power mm. by offering gifts no one else can reciprocate. Mm. So you're like, ah, oh, fuck. So again, I mean, to be fair, we're, we're humans, we're all messy and everything has got, you know, us optimizations and sub-optimizations. Yeah. So the notion of a potlatch as, a pay, as opposed to mandatory wealth tax mm. seems good. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you're, if you're down for this, but like if you could point out both good things on both sides and things that got captured on both sides and mm. hybrids that might work, mm. right? That would be really interesting. So what is basically a pro-social, like, like a humble potlatch, <laughs> you know, right? What is that notion of, of, I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe you guys deal with it. I mean, I, I think coming from England, I know Korean and Japanese cultures, like, Mm. who picks up the tab for dinner right mm. there's actually a script to it and it is the, it is this fundamentally the senior person or the high-ranking person like there's a re there's a reason as to you're never just splitting the fucking tab is mm. my point mm. and in america even among wealthy friends oftentimes friends with way more wealth than we have <laughs> most of the most of the time right no one picks up the tab they always just go to everybody that just breaks out their credit cards. And to me, that always feels like a tragic miss mm. in the ability to have breaking bread, one of the mm. most time-honored things we could ever do together, actually be a form of relational exchange. Yeah. Like I, you know, back to back to our point about credit and not barter, right? That idea of like, we are in each other's life enough that either I trust that you will get the next one. Mm. So let me gift you this one. I trust mm. that our relationship actually has legs, has continuity. Mm. Or if you're in town, it's we're the host, you're visiting us, right? There's a there's a three cups of tea yeah. reason for someone to pick it up, right? Or it's you don't expect it to be reciprocated, but there's some form of special occasion. Yeah. It's your birthday. It's you just it's you just got hired, whatever it would be. But there there, there ought to be a relational justification yeah. for who takes the who who takes the commercial or economic mm. burden because then you're deepening the relationships you're not just well we fed ourselves and we split it evenly which to me is always an incredibly missed mm. opportunity mm. i mean there is that um there's that yeah but the, the, that's that reciprocity principle 
um, which mm-hmm. you, you find that uh, you know out there um, you know along it's, I, I put that alongside barter potentially as as something that's that's possibly not really true which or is misrepresented the, this idea of reciprocity and the idea of um, 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 the idea of accruing uh, like credit points in reputation or something like that and um, you know by doing generous things you're really just putting money in the bank that you can withdraw later from you know what I mean that you, know, you scratch I scratch my your back you scratch mine you know this kind of thing um, yeah I like I, th- I think that that still that still presumes some kind of scarcity um, yeah it's just it, it just doesn't quite it doesn't quite fit with um you know with with what i see in our communities of um uh what we call what i don't know anthropologists call demand sharing economies but there is no expectation of return it's just um i guess it's closer to that potlatch thing but but it's not formalized like i think here's the thing you said what kind of sharing demand sharing now it's pretty close to i imagine what potlatch would have been before it became an institution mm-hmm. and the minute that potlatch became an institution it was doomed because then of course you would have people who are keeping that in place and of course you would end up with hierarchies and of course you'd end up with people uh skimming skimming the cream and then you'd end up with people just taking the lot and or weaponizing taking slaves the making slaves yeah. weaponizing it you know and and basically i think if if invasion hadn't occurred and that potlatch system kept going along those lines of institutionalization, then, um, you know, I, I imagine that, um, that culture wouldn't have lasted more than a couple more centuries, you know, that, that end, they'd have finished up, um, you know, falling apart like so many, I mean, you know, you have plenty of civilizations on your, on your, um, continent, that ruins of civilizations that uh, never quite made it, um, because of such things. I think the minute you institutionalize something like that, rather than it just being a um, a relational law of obligation and a way of being, you know, in the world, as soon as you well, that, institutionalize that it, that's what breaks it. So here's the thing, you know, when you have, you know, in these with these enlightenment values, and you have these these very good ideas, which I've kept for you in this boomerang that I'm going to send you, brother. Um, <laughs> all these really good ideas, but then there's the, okay, the how, because the institutions that are created to make these ideas work inevitably become corrupted. So this brings us back to that uh, multipolar trap and everything else again. Um, well, it also brings us to resource abundance or scarcity, right? Like the no- the notion of, yeah. <clears throat> the notion of effectively, <laughs> turn the other cheek in, you know, in the western tradition it's, it's the it's the it's the christ-like desire mm. to say i will meet oh, aggression it. right or transaction with more yeah. love and, yeah. and you're staying on the indigenous level like hey i'm going to give to yeah. you because that's just how we do it now that, how did that work out for jc to... yeah exactly that's not and, so good you know, yeah and so i think it's that is possible in places of resource abundance basically yeah. energy abundance yeah right because it doesn't really matter like if, if uh, i'm weaving a palm frond comes and back you to take energy. mine then i well it feels like it might like at yeah. least that's the trip i am on right now i'm just kind of going deep into energy well, inevitably slavery slavery must arise 
slavery slavery, slavery is the energy that has to power you, you, you a fucking civilization with, if you start, yeah, you start with photosynthesis yeah. and then you go with mm. metabolism and then you go with mm. domestication of other animals like let's get animals dumber mm. than us mm. to do our hard work because moving domestication fucking matters fall lake mm. and then you get domestic and then you get agrarianism and slavery because you couldn't enslave hunter-gatherers impossible to fucking manage the juice wasn't worth the squeeze so it was only once you had people in fixed locations aka fields right mm. and and also i think you and i talked about it, the whole notion of um if it's use it or lose it you share it and if it's use it or store it you hoard it because yeah. right because if it's use it or and, and and i think i shared this with you too but um this is held up in like studies of homeless populations in the US, right? Where mm. homeless people will almost always share a windfall. Someone put a hundred bucks into my hat. We're getting a fucking fifth of vodka yeah. and a hot and a motel room. And all my mm. friends are invited, right? Versus I'm opening up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to buy myself a hamburger and put 90 mm. bucks into my 401k. Mm. Right. You know? And so, so that notion of usufruct rights, where we all negotiate shared access to a resource and or immediate sharing because that buffers. I mean, I, th I don't think it's a bad thing that there's functional mm. self-interest in these exchanges. Mm. In fact, I think mm. function, if there wasn't, those people would be edited out of the gene pool yeah. too, right? So for it to be an abiding and durable cultural meme, it does need to work. So if you got lucky on the hunt, today right and you share with me and i get lucky tomorrow then neither of us goes hungry mm. on the days we were unlucky yeah right so so there is real <clears throat> benefit to generosity yeah and cooperation up to but not past the point where you now i value less than me or mine later mm. yeah true but then I guess, like you said, it comes back to abundance and scarcity. I'm glad you brought it back to that because I mentioned well, the scarcity but, scarcity earlier, yeah. but I, I didn't take that branch of the decision tree there. And it's, it is really important because all of that isn't worth shit if you're living in a place where you can close your eyes and throw a stick in the air and hit a fucking bird because they're that thick. <laughs> but see, here's the, here's, the, here's the counterfactual though, right? Yeah. Back to the, the, Colum the Columbia Gorge, right? Shit piles of salmon tons of wild berries they actually worked less to secure their caloric needs than almost any other mm. bioregion in north america at least mm. and they ended mm. up with the most stratified society and mm. slaves so you're like what the fuck's that about you guys should have just been kicking it you know so if you're living like gentlemen gentlemen of leisure eventually you're going to start behaving like elites is that possible that's, like th th they had an excess that's, a, that's an interesting hypothesis Right. Like, I mean, so you just have to run them because if we just stick in idealistic land, then we're really just dusting off Rousseau and adding a little hippie 60s, you know, yeah, back to land. Mm. And, I, and I, I'm sure I don't think either of us are interested in that. Mm. You know? Well, whatever sells, man. I, I think my, my, my market niche is hipster science here. So you got the revenant on your bookshelf there behind you. Probably. Yeah. Sweet, man. I just, I, sorry, I, you know, I got distracted and all I could think of is that scene where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is getting just fucked by that bear. <laughs> One of my favorite. Sometimes I just, um, I just watch that scene. Oh, yeah. it, helps, it helps me go to sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not really. So, but I mean, you know, um, 
I have about this because I mean, obviously, we can we can shoot the shit in general about mm. human culture across the ages. I mean, one of the ones that I have a question for you about is is the impossible to tease apart assessment of indigenous life before contact with the quote unquote enlightenment mm. and after, and most. <coughs> progressivist narratives emphasize that life really was still pretty fucking rough and tumble mm. before science, before vaccines, before civil rights. I mean, you know, you, it's easy to, uh, it's easy to romanticize it because we've lost something precious, specifically connection to source and land and culture and myth, mm. but to actually have lived then it was, it was harsh and brutal. I mean, you know, you hear the stories of the Comanche and how fucking, I mean, they were hardcore warriors and mercilessly tortured anybody that, you know, any of their, any of their victims and life was, you know, it was, it was a, it was a rough, rough fucking road. It might've had dignity and it might've had, you know, freedom and it might've had a bunch of things that we feel we've signed away. But on the other hand, it was fucking harsh. And, and I don't know what your take is on aboriginal culture and to what extent what you know can one make a really really mm. credible case for it being an airtight steady state culture that was in equilibrium and delivered you know because it might not have delivered some of the things we consider sacrosanct now yeah and i, I think i think colonies are um have a theory it's not a theory it's a hypothesis so that that um colonies are characterized and shaped like the character of a colony and it, the spirit of a colony is um is built on the first peoples who were there before and out of the spirit of the land of that place that's with those first peoples so um you know when I'm, I'm just thinking about the story that you just told me and i'm, I'm going yeah well you can see how um so many libertarians and i mean you see how uh, you know the us would end up with a gun problem and uh, <laughs> And you can see that that's sort of uh, like a lot of the cultures that I see arising in, on your on Turtle Island. You can see coming out of a lot of people there. And I think about the the um, Native Canadians that I know, which is quite a few now. And then how how much different the Canadian culture is to like everything in the South. You know, and I can't just say the U.S. because Alaska is part of the U.S. and Alaska's got a completely different culture again. Um, but then I think about our settlers here and how different our settlers here are from from Americans. You know, so it's kind of um, I don't know. There is a, a really strong commitment to leisure <laughs> um, in, in, in Australia. Australia. Yeah, um, a, a, quite a huge abundance mentality and a and an idea of sharing and equality and a fair, you know, so it's about equality and, you know, equality of opportunity and uh, fair suck of the source bottle. That's the other thing. It's not just about equality of opportunity. It's about equality of outcome. You know, everybody gets a fair suck of the, the source bottle, you know, everybody's welcome. Um, and I don't know, there's this, uh, yeah, there is a, there, there are a lot of attitudes that can only come out of an abundance mentality. Oh, it's it's the intense hatred of hierarchies. 
So the Australian well, how, so how much settler, of that is all the Australian the settler the exactly, the, but the Australian settler culture just doesn't tolerate. Um, you know, it's the tall poppy syndrome here is is massive. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Australia hates bosses. Australians hate bo bosses. Um, you know, yeah, that's just not tolerated. You can see so many things that are actually, you know, I think um quite descended from from Aboriginal culture here um, in Australia, and, and I guess with most colonies, most settlements. Um, you find that the place and the people there end up really rubbing off on, on those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Romans living in Gaul mm -hmm. are quite different from Romans living in Britannia. Um, yeah, or or Kurtz up the river, right? Yeah. I mean, so so I mean, if if you've got um, some data points with friends who are First Nations Canadian, mm. um, an interesting, <clears throat> you know, backstory to 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 compare is. French settlement patterns in the North versus English and then American across North America, right? Because the mm. French didn't set up, the, they were looking for trade outposts. Intermarriage mestizo culture was much, much higher, mm. right? And in fact, was seen as cementing alliances, right? So a fur trader would come in, you would marry, you would marry an Indian woman, quite often a ranking one, that would be an alliance. That they, there, was, there was a very different ethos as to what mm. fundamentally womanhood Right. I mean, mm. womanhood and who is who has status as a woman. Mm. Right. And what and, 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 and interbreeding and all of those kind of things. Those are really interesting fault lines to track mm. because America, you know, Americans was settled by first come the soldiers and the prostitutes. And, right. And, 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 they, and, and in fact, they would have in, you know, squaw, they would take a squaw kind of thing. And then that, mm. would, and then the prostitutes would come in and then the white women would come in. And when the white women came in, all those prior arrangements got shunted and devalued. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then there would be the schools and the churches mm. and going up against, and this is sort of the origins of prohibition, right. Against the brothels and the saloons. Right. And there was, the, there was a very Protestant model of settlement where the French didn't give a fuck. Mm. And they were much more interested in like, well, we're out, outmanned and need these people and right and there was much more interaction and much mm. more um, perpetuation of status mm. among first nations peoples as well as um as well as any um mestizo cultures yeah and so it's very so i would i would have to think and then you've got you know canada crown to uk versus us mm. you know but I, I think there would be a fascinating um cross-referencing to your mm. point, right? Mm. Of like, what are the origin patterns of the colony? Mm. And how does that then set up how people treat each other? Well, that's it. Well, I, and I think, um, and then that's got to be, um, I don't know, I, I guess that's something that's got to be a bit of a template going forward uh, for dialogue then. You find the best parts of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be neat. <clears throat> well, you, you tell me, because I don't want to, brainstorm ideas that have no relevance Look, to what you're doing. I, 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 th I think I think what you said before and I just wanted to pick it up the romanticism you know that that's worth that's worth uh, leaving behind you know romanticism that's, of which of the noble savage that kind of idea anything romanticizing the enlightenment hmm. you know um you know getting to, to I mean here's the thing that you want to keep the stories even if they're not true because the stories story is important but at the same time you don't want to romanticize stuff Okay, so the idea of the, um, you know, the hero light bulb moment, individual inventing the pencil kind of thing, 
you know, that, that, that idea of individual geniuses coming up with ideas rather than it being, you know, communities of people and multiple generations of people or, you know, contributing to, um, to something emerging, you know, um, that like a lot of the romanticizing those ideals, you know, maybe that's not great. Um, uh, romanticizing a lot of this, this idea of, um, the enlightenment, you know, bringing, uh, bringing human rights to the darkest corners of the planet, you know, all that kind of romanticized, uh, points of view, you know, they're probably worth, uh, just leaving, leaving behind. Um, I believe in the same way as all the Rousseau stuff with the noble savage, that's, um, uh, none of us want that. None of us like that. So you won't find a lot of indigenous people pushing, peddling those narratives anymore. No, but I do mm. hear you speaking sincerely and powerfully, mm. right? About the intact integrity and wisdom and mm. depth of your culture. Yeah, just the things that are worth, things that are worth keeping, I think. And the yeah. things that have survived in our law that we still have record of that yeah. seem like they have good patterns that could be useful. Um, yeah, there's a difference between that and going here, you know, we were, we were all nuts and berries and feathers and sex on the beach for bloody, you know, a hundred thousand years. And then you came along and wrecked it. Um, you know, there's a difference <laughs> between romanticizing it that way. And, um, and, you know, actually, you know, looking for the real things and the real patterns that are worth carrying forward. But I think that needs to happen with, um, yeah, I've made an earnest attempt with the enlightenment thing, um, with doing that this time, um, you know, since our earlier talks about it, I made a really earnest attempt at, at look, looking for the good there and trying not to, uh, romanticize my side of things and, and, uh, to, well, I mean, to something, de something. demonize the enlightenment side of things. I, you know, I've really, um, really worked hard at these yarns and I've, I've used humor a lot, like. You know, yeah. I've made a lot of jokes and I've made a lot of fun of myself and I make missteps and do stupid things like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, reject the entire Magna Carta because I'm in a bad mood, like, for example. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but I think, you know, why does that story have, have legs? It's that whole notion of no man is above the law, even the, even the divinely appointed king. Like, that's a really fucking good one. But it almost feels like <clears throat> a potential way. I mean, you may be far enough into it that the, 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 the you know, the cement is set on this, but mm. the notion of the good ideas captured or badly executed right mm. so on the one hand like i pencil if you think of a thousand people who never met each other all doing their bit within a complex ecology mm. right like i mine the graphite because i have a fair degree of confidence that other people would like this graphite and i live near it or know mm. how to get it or whatever it would be mm. um, or i chop down the cedar tree um arguably that is the genius of decentralized ecological niche adaptation yeah. right the koala you know eating the eucalyptus because nobody else can digest them it's a good thing but somewhere very very quickly in that decentralized intelligence of trade networks of like a niche adaptation and trade work came big boss man who said now i'm jeff bezos and this is all vertically integrated and you fucking do what i say for minimum wage <laughs> right so now now my value of having adapted to my niche is eradicated by the tops down control it got captured the potlatch is a beautiful way to gift and redistribute abundance hmm. amongst a community who needs it as long and as you don't institutionalize by, it yeah right and it got that, captured by big men that's it right so so you could get a hell of a long way 
mm. you know, just showcasing here, here's, you know, half a dozen brilliant indigenous ideas that showed up mm. and here's mm. half a dozen brilliant enlightenment ideas. And here's where the, the nugget of the idea is actually something that we need today. It's mm. a solution we still need. Mm. And we can look to this as an example and let's acknowledge people are people, people are tricky buggers mm. and there's been empire rape and conquest around the world for as long as we've been people. And by the way, I mean, I mean, not to super nerd out on it, but almost all the major empires were built on the backs of energy innovations. Mm. So the, the Scythians or you know, whoever it was like, you go from, you go from wood and stone to, you know, to whatever it was to, to bronze, to, to iron, right. Mm. To steel. I mean, those are all effectively ways to further, further extract and forge embedded minerals from foreign stars with increased heat, mm. you know, to make more durable armaments and, you know, weapons, you know, and yeah. all those kinds of things like, and, and, and then those level ups mm. obliterate all the other, the other symbiotic relationships, mm. right? Whatever those were like, Oh, we go next door and we raid in the spring mm. and they come back and they raid on us. And we tend not to kill too many of each other. Cause otherwise that would be a bloodbath. But and, if it's, if it's not embedded, if it's not embedded within the system, if it's not nested there, then your maximum power principle doesn't come into play. And so you end up with this malignant kind of growth, you know, with new technology. What do you mean when you say the maximum power principle? Um, you know, the max power principle whereby, you know, every system, um, will increase its complexity and, uh, efficiency and power, um, to its absolute limits, but within, um, the limits, the interdependent limits of the systems around it, mm. you know, so that it's actually context dependent. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with technology until people are removing it from its context and just growing, growing, growing. And that's part of the story I'm, I'm with this boomerang I'm sending you here. It's um, with that returning boomerang, which is a children's toy. It's some pretty genius aerodynamics, you know. There's all these ideal gas equations and shit going on. It's it's pretty amazing. So you you know you've got something where there's um where you've got aerodynamics and it's cut in exactly a certain way so that it will you know it'll do that thing of coming back that little minor miracle. Um, you would think if you had the um if you had the genius and the knowledge to do that, that you'd make some windmills, you know, to power something. You would think that, you know, if you discovered that kind of aerodynamics, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you would make from that. But instead we end up with, it's a children's toy, or I've seen it used as a, also traditionally as a decoy, a hawk decoy. You know what I mean? To scare ducks in a certain direction or something, but it's basically, that's the places, right? The wheel, the wheel, it's you know, a trivial, circles, it's a trivial tool. Yeah. Mesoamerica the most, or, or gold most, was gold was purely for decoration, but well, not that was the, that was the next thing I was going to say was that I, I keep hearing this about central America is this, um, this idea that the wheel was invented, but it was just a toy for children. Mm. So we've got this boomerang. That's a toy for children here. And we've got this idea that there's a, uh, you know, there's toys with wheels on them for Native American kids to play with. But when it's time to pack up the TPs, you know, these are just poles that are dragged. So at the end of the pole is just dragging in the dirt along behind them. But then I think, well, if I was following herds of bison and buffalo, 
you know, when I think about the, um, you know, the, the quasi-agricultural practices, you know, um, uh, all around the world, there's always megafauna uh, with logs or whatever being dragged behind it to, um, to make sure that the, um, the fertilization that's happening from the megafauna is, is going into the ground. So I'm imagining that all the people dragging the poles along behind as they follow the herd, that that is actually a really important part of the, um, the symbiotic process of people in their ecological niche there. And that to put wheels on those things would end up destroying the prairie over time. You know what I mean? So I'm imagining that, you know, you can come up with these advances in technology, but if you reach the limit of your system around the system around it, so the limit of that system, perhaps on the Great Plains, was that if you put these things on wheels, then the poles would no longer be being dragged across the earth behind the great herds. And some very important thing wouldn't happen there in the fertilization of the prairies. You know See, what that I mean? never stopped. Yeah, I do. So therefore and... that would that would put a limit <clears throat> on, you know, whether you could develop that technology further and make, you know, wheels uh, <laughs> to to, you know, make it easier for you to drag bigger villages around and grow it larger and have more people and all the rest. So there is that maximum power principle, I think, at work. And I think as long as your culture is embedded in the land and is part of the landscape and has not separated itself from it to the point where it has a separate word for nature, you know, and I think as long as you're doing that, then um, I think you're right. There's that check and balance going on. But otherwise, you're going to you're going to wreck everything. You, you're going to have institutions that become corrupted. You're going to have, um, you're going to just destroy the <laughs> the place. I don't know. This, this is, um, this is, these are my thoughts, uh, with, with this boomerang, um, this, this toy that could have been a helicopter, but just stayed a toy. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things there. One is, is, is there, is there a genius? And cause I mean, I, you know, I think you gotta be really specific in your argument where you can't say, oh, they didn't put wheels on the Travois because that would have impacted, that would have impacted the mm. planes and that would have been bad because you can't grant them, you know, future casting ecological impact that then informed their decision. But cause on the other hand, right, at mm. least in the West, they were completely ungoverned mm. by unintended mm. consequences of technological innovation. They fucking did it first and then fucked it up later and was like, whoops, you know. So, so, it doesn't matter right. if it was genius or instinct. It was the same yeah. outcome. They're embedded in a landscape and they're responding to the limits of the landscape around them. Yeah, but the notion of like, it was only a toy, mm. right? Is actually almost bears interrogation, right? That it existed mm. for delight for mm. play mm. is that not arguably then, then for trucking and commerce is like is that yeah, not yeah. actually it reached it, its highest yeah use, yeah right which which was gold is adornment it's pretty and it reflects light you know and 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 wheels nice, and man. hoops right and boomerangs yeah, yeah. that come back to you because that is fucking delightful yeah and 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 so i do wonder i mean and this is you know in some respects retro retro romantic and on other respects i think just where we are at the end of the progressive story of the mm. neoliberal promises, <coughs> what is the good life? Mm. And how have humans designed for it? Mm. And, and because I think it's fair to say this isn't it. You know, yeah. we're sort of living longer, but we spend the last decade of our life hooked up to tubes cared for by strangers on minimum. And these aren't the technologies of delight. 
Right, yeah. Like Talking the, about delight, like, technologies of delight, and these are not them. So you would think, and if, yeah. you could, if you look at any of the, you know, the Harvard optimal psych guys, are like, this is mm. what a good life is, you know, and you see the little memes of like, this 80-year-old man on his deathbed said the six things he wished he'd done more of. You know, they almost all map to indigenous values. Yeah, yeah. You know, that they had connections. You know, what does happiness entail? It's not how much you earn, blah, blah, blah. It's all yeah. shit. It's, it's strength of relationships. It's family and kin. It's connections to, you know, it's embodied physical health. So mm. you could make a case that by our own scorecards, we have failed our own experiment. And, and I kind of feel that that gives you a way back to revalorizing or at least... Mm you know looking with fresh eyes on many indigenous mm. adaptations which is like what does it mean to be a human on this earth through the course of life and if you could go back and give everybody smallpox vaccinations like basically minimize child you know infant mortality and maternal mortality mm. and i don't know i mean obviously war but you know violent violent ends met a lot of dudes for a long, long time. Arguably, that vaccination was a West African um, indigenous technology anyway. How they first became alerted to that is that they were asking their slaves, like, boy, what's that scar on your arm? And it kind of went from there. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was also in Turkey, I understand, and, and some white lady went over to Turkey to follow that up as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, these are all... Anyway, um, I think that's a pointless discussion to get into, though. I mean, at least for me, I'll just speak for myself. And if it's useful, I'll, I'll be I'll grateful. Um, I, I do feel like we are, we are coming to the end of many of our stories right now. So I think a mm. lot of people on all sides of politics and everything else are trying to assess, you know, how did we get to now? Where did we mm. go wrong or right? And if we kind of pan back and just take a look at the, you know, the 100,000 years mm. of this human experiment, it gives us more perspective on all these experiments and innovations and mutations and perversions and everything else that we've done and i do think that coming back to first principles of sort of what is the good life what what, what does it mean to be a human on this earth um and to live and die um with dignity first principles made... for us principles clarice yeah <laughs> read marcus aurelius <laughs> yeah right right like, sorry man every like, time i hear first principles it's just animal lector for me it always makes me laugh yeah. yeah 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 and and sure julie just handed me a beer bam how's that um i'd give you one too if i could <laughs> we could we could send you one to uh, the screen um and i i think there's something there on the fact that good ideas can get captured Mm. and that doesn't mean they weren't good ideas they're often mm. meeting a need we have and like mm. and again like that and, and vine <clears throat> you know um he shared the story of receiving you know being gifted a soapstone peace pipe in his coming of age ceremony and then receiving it again when he was in his 60s right and had just been moving through society so in some respects you could say hey markets markets are great markets and trade and commerce but commerce without relationship and commerce with hoarding of the resource mm. is probably not good and we can use you know stagnant ponds versus flowing rivers whatever the idea that we exchange not to accumulate more artifacts mm. right and it's the velocity 
and the volume and the proximity of that exchange that deepens our, and you can throw a network theory if you want to, right? You know, like the nodes get richer and stronger by how much is flowing through and around them. Mm. So I think that there are across the board here with even just a handful of examples we've been noodling on, really good examples of elegant solutions to existing, you know, not problems, but mm. things we need to figure out. How does mm. everybody chip in? How mm. do you share the wealth so that the weak, the, it's the Samuel Johnson, like a, a good measure of any society is how it treats its poor. Mm. You know, like how do you care for the least among us, right? That there's certain kind of, how do you do the human thing that are kind of just, you've got to check these boxes more or less satisfactorily. Mm. How do you deal for plenty and, you know, feast and famine? Mm. How, do, how do you plan for something other than the eternal now, especially if you're a non-equatorial <laughs> culture? right yeah right oh, wow. and 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 the notion that probably some form of boom bust or fish infusion or mm. innovation capture is also part of our novelty paradigm right it's mm. how the universe has always learned the most algal blooms to you know nebula mm. so we do the same thing and we often assign a moral value to it but in fact, it could just be the process of propagation, maximum propagation of novelty to find the thing that's enduring. And in this current collapse, we could be wringing our hands and saying, oh, this is original sin, or this is greed, or this is some moral failing, but it might just be the mm. latest lap on novelty propagation. And so yeah. as you're sifting through, you know, you, you have the chance to hold up some things that might be, you know, Look, I, I just think it, it's so, um, I know it's so monolithic. It's hard to know if it's just something that's that's part of nature, part of the world or not. Or, you know, if it's just something that's become so baked in. But how quickly do we learn it? You know, all of all of these things. Which? The, yeah, just the, the game theory, the game theoretical um, horrors. I, I got to read you this. And I think I think we'll we'll start moving towards a wrap up with this one. So this is so this is my my two little kids. You know, um, so Aboriginal children playing. Okay, and it's it's just a paragraph. But anyway, I was writing this the other day. My son picks up a stick to play with, and his sister takes it off him and says, "No, that's my stick," and whacks him with it. Um, he, he's confused and stands watching her for a while. She isn't playing with it. She's just holding it and glaring at him. And he's just a toddler who can't speak yet, so he can't ask her the rules of this game. He just shrugs and picks up another stick. <clears throat> he's having a great time playing with that new stick, and his sister is fuming. She goes around under all the trees and all the bushes, picking up every stick and throwing them all out of reach over a fence. Then she takes his stick and does the same. Finally, laying her stick, the one and only stick left, on the ground in front of him. Of course, he picks it up. Hey, she yells, that's my stick. And she rips it out of his hands and whacks him with it. <laughs> anyway, that, that little girl's my retirement plan right there. <laughs> <laughs> She's four. She gets it with a Disney Pixar clarity. She gets the entire economic system and, um, and she will do well in it. She understands scarcity. She understands supply and demand. <laughs> she understands there is no equilibrium unless she's holding the fucking stick. 
to that's my thoughts about that that's fantastic in one horrible little story <laughs> although you know our two puppies just did the same thing launching off <laughs> launching off the dock today <clears throat> here it is with, with is the it older one nature was, was nature. Grabbing the fuck, yeah grabbing the fucking stick and only gave a shit that the that the younger one wanted it yeah and it was level level-headed yeah so is this know. something that we need to beat out of our natures or is it something that's been beaten into it who knows well that's that unconstrained versus i guess it comes down in the end to whether or not we're like brutish evil evil creatures who are destined who have no ecological niche and who are basically just a mutation should never have happened and we're just destined to destroy the entire planet um unless we're controlled by someone benevolent and awesome um or are we fundamentally uh, good creatures who have an ecological niche and um, have a patterning um, that is sustainable like a koala like a goanna like a grizzly bear um you know are we creatures who, who have that or as i don't know we both know jim Rutt. he always says usually when it's a, a forced choice between two things like that and usually the re the truth it lies in um it's a bit of both mm. Mm. that's his answer to the nature nurture debate yeah, well, I mean, that ernst becker the fear of death thing I would, i'd wonder if <clears throat> do we do the worst of what's in us to do mm. because we're not we're not nearly as sanguine about dying right we're mm. so we, we are we are perhaps more focused on <clears throat> like if you hear brett and heather right they're always talking about the propagation of the, the line <clears throat> so the intelligence right the intelligence is almost sort of smeared across generations mm. and specific somewhere in the lines we, we realize oh there's me isolated me and i'd rather live than die Mm. you know and whether the grizzly or the koala or anything else they sort of in some respects submit to the boom bust of their ecosystems and yeah. any imbalances in their microclimates and those kind of things mm. and they obviously do their level best to stay alive but they also mm. kind of die with some kind of dignity and detachment you know yeah. at least from our point of view and in the long run their species last for millions and millions of years um until they don't yeah yeah well i wonder I wonder. I wonder what the answer is. Are we brutes? <laughs> Angels and animals, man. Yeah. Um, That's the jam. It's the thing. I just think either way, you just got to have respect for your ancestors. Respect your ancestors and where you come from and, um, you know, trust that they probably probably had some good ideas. And that Dude, worth, I would love to see. I would love it's to worth see you do that. staying open to. Uh, I would love to see you do this riff of, of um, do the whole respect your ancestors and where you come from and then mm. say and because we are now it, you know we collapse the you know we are no longer in synchronic time we are in explicitly diachronic time like we're, yeah. we, we're right is what does it mean to take all of that ancestor reverence and awareness and also play it forwards mm. into our descendants the not that's yet it. well i think that's where the creative spaces are Oh, that's the reason i'm i'm um, i'm not very switched on in our yarn this morning is because I've, I've been up since three o'clock this morning hanging out with these african dudes um all these african guys making neural nets and so we're in this massive big meeting so we're making neural net you know all these african dudes and me and it's 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 just really cool <laughs> um and it was after a while i realized they're not on laptops these guys are on their freaking phones going forward these are all people who um you know have a deep respect for their ancestors 
there's one guy who's like a descendant of all the monomatapas and stuff and you know <laughs> he's basically a king and he's just um you know um just doing all this amazing stuff I'm um, just listening now. I, w I will pursue that respect the ancestors thing and, and, and follow yeah. that line. And you send me your address. Uh, flick, flick me your mailing address and I'll send this boomy off to you today because I think it's done. Oh, I'm happy now that we've had this yarn. I reckon it's, I've, I've really struggled with things since our, uh, some of our previous ones. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm reaching a comfortable space of discomfort. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Well, listen, man, I mean, send me anything you're writing as you go. And I don't know whether you, ever do something as um predictable as write chapter outlines or anything like that but like if there was any sense of like mm. what is the big argument and what the building blocks i mean i'd love to be as useful as i can mm. you know versus us well, just shooting the shit that's this one that's the first the first uh, the first channel I've, I've, I've had to do a second chapter for the enlightenment because the first one didn't get there i'm keeping mm -hmm. the first one mm -hmm. warts and all you know mm -hmm. uh, integral style and i'm going to spiral out into another chapter on it that's going to uh, hopefully arrive at a better place i think we're getting somewhere all right but i'm yeah, going to send you that the, one the, the big picture which me would be teleological thrust right i mean one of the things that the enlightenment did was right i'm going to invent a dance move called the teleological thrust exactly exactly it's such a good word um but fundamentally right if you're talking about ancestors to descendants you're talking about taking time's arrow and bending mm. it back around into uruburus again mm. right and and so so you know the, the blessing and the curse of that time's mm. arrow but yeah. it also goes sailing off the cliff and what does it mean to kind of bend that back into a hoop a sacred hoop beautiful well let's go sailing, right, off, sailing off the cliff Thank yeah. you, brother. That was um that was pretty special. <laughs> Huge yeah. love, man. Thanks, Abe. Cheers. All right. Catch ya.